Thanks for that music and uh, this quartet. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be in Ruston this morning. And I've been in the church a couple of times speaking at a conference or something. And I have friends uh, here, the, the Davisons, the Slaughters. I've got fishing buddies in this church. Uh, hopefully they're not fishing this morning. <laughs> and love Dr. Reggie, your pastor. And it's just a joy to, to fill in for him this morning. And, and to have my wife with me, I always do better when she's with me. And she's right down here in the front. And then our dear friends, Clay and Teresa Crenshaw, over on the left over there. Raise your hand so they can see where you all are. Uh, he was my chairman of deacons and uh, helped me pastor First Baptist Bossier in a lot of ways. And a dear, dear friend. So we're glad that they're with us this morning. Here's the good news. I mean, right off the bat, I don't know you, so it's, this sermon you can say is not for you. <laughs> you, get, you get a pass. But it's, you could say to your neighbor, I think he's talking about you, <laughs> or take notes for your neighbor, all right? But I want you to know that, that I, I, I'm bringing this message out of a burdened heart. I'm concerned about America. We need a moral and spiritual revolution and awakening are the best that America has ever been is in the past. And Washington is in the biggest mess it's ever been in. If I ever go crazy, I hope it's in Washington, D.C., so I won't be recognized. <laughs> and I, I, I said this to Dr. Ben Carson when he was in Russia a few weeks ago, that my plan is to take everybody in Congress and dismiss them. Both sides, both groups, all of them. And just have a lottery, of the com- a lottery of the common people and let them see if they could do a better job than what's happening there now. That plan may work. We got to do something. But listen, it should start where? With the church. Because if we have an awakening, it has to begin with prayer. God hears us when we fall on our knees before him. And if it's going to be the church, then the church that it should begin in is the Baptist church. Because we know the word of God. We know that we need revival, that we need awakening, that we need spiritual revolution. We know that. And how are we doing as Southern Baptists? We are baptizing less today than we were in the 1950s. And we have so many more resources, so much more money, so many more buildings, so many more programs. And yet we're winning less today than in the 1950s. So I want want you to understand that, that God wants to do a special work in our hearts and lives. He wants us to claim our cities for him. We may not can change the world. We may not can change America, but we could start working on Ruston and on Bossier City and on Louisiana. Because here's, here's the truth. Every church starts out the same way. Every church begins wanting to touch an area, a community, a city for Christ, wanting to win people to Jesus. Wanting to show the area that Jesus is Lord and he's the only way to heaven. 
Every church begins that way. But here's what happens over time. Churches, and this, it happens naturally. Nobody intends for it to happen. But over time, we turn inward. See, when we began, we were turned outward trying to reach people because we didn't have many people. We wanted to reach people for Christ. We wanted the church to grow. We wanted to get bigger. So we were turned outward. But then over time, we turn inward. When we were turned outward, we were soul winners. We turn inward, we become social. In other words, we start locking each other. And we like our groups. We like our Sunday school class. We, we like to hang with them. It's people, all of a sudden, we want people around us who, who think like us and talk like us and act like us. And we begin to enjoy one another. And we turn more and more inward. We can even become cliquish. So what, what has to happen in every church is that we have to continually force ourselves to turn back outward because it won't happen automatically. We've got to make it happen. We've got to keep focusing on the people who are not yet here. See, as I understand the Bible, we have church for those who haven't come yet. I mean, it's not primarily for us because we belong to the Lord and we're on our way to heaven. We got it. But we exist for those not yet reached. We exist for those not yet reached. The Bible says, go and tell. We Baptists tend to say, come and hear. Come and hear our preacher. Come and hear our music. Come enjoy our fellowship. Come. Come. The Bible, the Great Commission, is a reversal of that. It says, go, go, go. We say, are you coming to church? If you're coming to church, you're good. The Bible says, are you going out from the church? to impact the city for Jesus Christ. I was over in a, in a Texas First Baptist Church for revival. And the pastor came out to the motel where I was staying. And he came in and he said, Brother Fred, you know how preachers talk. I'm so glad you're here. He said, I'm glad to be here. He said, now, Brother Fred... Our church don't like that hard preaching. They don't like it. They don't like it. I said, yes, sir. He said, if you preach that hell, fire, and damnation stuff, they won't come. They won't come. I said, yes, sir. And then here's what he said to me. Now, Brother Fred, I don't have any problems here, and I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't create any while you're here. You know what I did? I got up in that pulpit and pitched the biggest fit of my ministry. I preached hellfire and damnation. And you know what God did? Ninety people got saved that week. Ninety people. That's what God can do. But it's so easy to get, to get comfortable. 
I went to Holly Springs, Mississippi for a revival meeting. That's where I found my beautiful wife. And we've been married 41 years. And at least 40 good ones out. No, no, 41 <laughs> good years. I go to her town for a revival meeting. They put me in, a, in an antebellum home. It's a beautiful little city. And I was in the home of a dentist and had this bed, what do you call, four-poster bed, which high post, which made it a little hard for me to get my pants to hang up on top of that. <laughs> but I'm in this, you know, this everything, this little city, and I get to that First Baptist Church, and typical First Baptist Church, you know, all the seats are down front, and the people sit toward the back, because they don't want much, just a little. <laughs> and, you know, it was very, very formal, and but there was no platform. You didn't have all this walking room. As you already noticed, I do a lot of walking, and there was no place to walk. No place to walk on this side. Only thing was the pulpit, and right here was the only place to walk except as a stack of offering plates. On this side, a stack of offering plates. And I'd forget about it. So I'd be preaching away, and I'd go over here, and I'd hit those offering plates. And I'd, I'd start to this side, and I'd hit those offering plates. Well, it got to bothering me. People, not, you know, normal Baptists, they were, you know, looking over the bulletin, looking up, counting the hose and the ceiling tile, doing different things. <laughs> So I reared back and kicked those offering plates. I mean, you heard, money, you heard quarters rolling. It's a Baptist church. Quarters rolling everywhere. And these little old ladies said, oh. You know what happened? The next night you couldn't get a seat. They came to see what I was going to kick. But listen to me. God is a disturbing God. We want to be comfortable. The Bible is a disturbing book. So if we want God to do a movement, then we've got to be willing for God to shake some things up and, and disturb us in order for that to happen. In a, in a small town, some of you are old enough to remember Urban Renewal. and There was this little store that uh, had, you know, had everything that... Uh, that just, you know, you couldn't call it one particular kind of store because they just had to take care of the, the little town. But something happened one day. They decided, a, a chain drugstore decided to come in and built right beside this little store where you could, you know, had every, every little thing, little uh, local one-owner store, man had owned it for years. But that drugstore came. And offered so much more than he could offer less. And then on the other side, another chain grocery store came in. And so he's between them. And it's over for him. He can't compete. And he, he goes into depression and he's sitting home in his recliner just depressed saying, it's, it's over. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make a living. And then the thought came to him. He got $25,000 at the bank. And he decided to go down to the sign company and he told them he had $25,000, whatever that would buy and the biggest sign he could buy and put across his store. And that's what he did. And it literally changed the store and made it successful again. That sign, you know what it said? It was between the this discount drugstore and this 
grocery chain, this little sandwich in between. The sign said, main entrance here. (laughs) Well, you know, we have to stop turning inward and turn outward and let the main thing be the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a famous preacher that came to to preach at a church and it was a small church and the preacher was famous. And so the pastor was nervous and the deacons were nervous and they wanted everything to be special. And so the, the service went on and the choir, the choir was singing the special before this famous minister was to speak and a bird flew in. And the bird just started circling the people in that service. It made two or three loops around the people and then it started trying to get out stained glass windows and it would just hit against those stained glass windows and then it'd hit it again, trying to get out, hit it again. And the people were so nervous that what was, all this was happening with this famous preacher. So the famous preacher got up to speak and when he got up, here's what he said. He said, today, a little bird has delivered the sermon. We have to get out of these stained glass windows. We have to get out of the building and on the streets. We have to get out of the church and into the world, the lost world, and share the good news of the gospel. And that's so true. I was in uh, Kentucky. And they asked me to speak at the Good News Club on the high school campus. I thought, what a wonderful thing. I didn't even know that was allowed today. And in a lot of places it's not. So I got to that school that morning and they told me that this, this Good News Club was organized to get the gospel out on the campus. That was their goal, that everybody on the campus, here's the gospel. And I was so blessed by that. And a high school senior girl was to introduce me. And she got up and introduced me and she started to talk and then some tears came. And she said, most of you know Susie Atkins and you know that last week she was killed in a car wreck. But what you may not know is that she was my best friend and I never shared the gospel with her. And she just stood there and wept. And then people started weeping around the room. And then one after another of those students began to say, I haven't shared the gospel with my closest friend. Now think about that. Here is a club called the Good News Club. Its its sole purpose is to get the gospel out on a high school campus And what a mission field, what an opportunity. And here are those who are Christians and they meet monthly and they socialize and they enjoy one another and they talk about the gospel. But they had never shared the gospel with anyone. What a tragedy. And yet, listen to me. Thousands of Southern Baptist churches go one the entire year and never win one person to Jesus. Thousands of churches. That's what we are, the Good News Club. 
But what value is it if we just come and enjoy one another and talk about the gospel, but then go out of here and live our lives and never share the gospel, the good news with anyone? The Bible doesn't let us off easily. It's a command to share the gospel. God's character demands that we share the gospel. When it comes to reaching people for Christ, we have to continually turn outward and reach people. Acts. You got your Bible? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I like to preach at the Gospels or Acts because Baptists can find it. <laughs> Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Beginning with verse 9. One night the Lord spoke, spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. A summary of the book of Acts, Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, and the people sat in church. The people went out. The people went out. Now, you have two commands and two promises right here in the text. The first command, stop being afraid. See, sharing the gospel, it, there's, there's something about it, and the, the devil, of course, is going to fight us every step of the way. It's hard to get those words out of our mouths to, to people that we know may not be Christians. We're intimidated. And so it's saying, stop being intimidated. I... Uh, Got in a little, we had a, little, had a little building and a, had a tractor in it, lawn tractor, and I, I would always back it in there. And I got on that tractor and looked over to my left and I saw the end of a snake. Now, the, the snake was, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't see all the way around, so I don't know exactly how long it was. It was probably 20 or 30 feet long. And, and a foot or so in diameter. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm intimidated by snakes. They're, just, they're two kind of snakes that I'm fearful of, dead ones and live ones. <laughs> so here I am, and I see his tail, but I don't see his head, and I assume his head is right behind me, and he's getting ready to strike. So being the, the courageous guy that I am, I jumped out on top of that tractor and climbed, just fell off the other end, of, off the front of it. Glad to be on the ground alive. But now I've got an issue. I've got to deal with that snake because I can never go back in there again. So I, I took the hoe and I pulled the tractor out of gear and I pulled, put the hoe in the steering wheel and pulled that tractor out of that shed. And then with that hoe, I attacked that snake. And I gave it everything that I had. I mean, I beat the snake out of that snake. I won I was so proud. I was so proud I called my wife and said, get the camera. 
she came out. We, I, I just saw it the other day. I, we still got that picture. Me standing with, with a hoe. I don't touch the snake. It's, it's on the hoe. And she takes a picture. About an hour later, my neighbor Malcolm comes over. Malcolm said, who killed that snake? I did. I was so proud. I did. He said, why? I said, what do you mean, why? He said, that's a harmless snake. We need those snakes. Why didn't you look at the shape of its eyes? (laughs) Who cares? You think I'm going to get close enough to see the shape of that snake's eyes? No way. The only good snake is a dead snake. Because I'm intimidated. We, the word says, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. And yet we're intimidated by Satan who is a snake. And he always is backdooring us. He's always, he's, he's hypocritical. He's a liar. He's always trying to find ways into your life to get you If he can't just get you totally away from God, he wants to be sure you don't do anything for God. And so he's intimidating to us. Don't be intimidated by society. See, it's not not cool to be a Christian in today's world. In fact, Christians are being persecuted now all over the world in a way that you and I have never seen in our lifetime, and it's going to get worse. Persecution is going to come to a theater near you. And so we can be intimidated by society. Society is wrong. Society, culture is wrong about sin, wrong about judgment, wrong about hell. It's wrong. So stop being intimidated by society. Stop intimidated, being intimidated by Satan. Because guess what? I've read the last chapter. We win. We win. One day every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Stop being afraid, says Paul. God God speaks and says to us, stop being afraid. Stop being intimidated. And then he says, keep on speaking. Do not become silent. Keep on sharing the gospel. Don't be silenced. What would silence us? Sin. You know, if you've got open sin in your life and you start to witness somebody, the devil's going to say, look at you, hypocrite. You're going to tell somebody about Jesus, what you're doing right now, what's wrong in your life? So sin will silence us. Success can silence us. Success. Did you know when churches, Baptist churches, build their beautiful church auditoriums, their dream auditorium? From that point on, they began to go the other direction. Because we get there and we say, ah, look what we've done. And then we We depend on things other than God. We get comfortable and successful. And then eventually we begin to go the other direction. I was in South Carolina in a revival meeting, walking down the hallway with a pastor, and I saw a Sunday school classroom full of recliners. 
I'm not kidding. I stopped in my tracks. I said, Pastor, what is that? He said, that's the men's Bible class. I said, well, what, what's the deal with the recliners? He said, well, they did, their chairs were kind of worn out and they, they wanted to buy chairs that they liked. And they were going to buy nice chairs. And the more they talked about it, they realized that every man really likes a recliner better than anything else. So if, since we're buying it, we're just going to buy ourselves a recliner. So the men's Bible class with a room full of recliners. Can't you imagine that? Sunday morning, reared back, ain't God good. <laughs> Don't be silenced by success. Because let me tell you something. We don't ever know if we're successful anyway. We won't know until we get on the other side. A lot of things we call success, God calls failure. And a lot of things we call failure, God calls success. You okay? That was for your neighbor. <laughs> don't be silenced by selfishness. It's a me generation, isn't it? It's meism. It's what can you do for me? Do you know why people, the things people want to know about your church is what do you do for me? What do you do for me? Selfishness. And it's so hard to break that. I was in Maryland preaching a crusade. And a lady came up to talk to me. And she, she, had, she was a Sunday school teacher. She'd never shared the gospel with anybody. She taught teenagers. Never shared the gospel with anybody. And she says, Pastor, I am so convicted and I promise you I'm going back and I'm going to talk to each one of my Sunday school class members and make sure they know Jesus. If not, I'm going to share the gospel. Two weeks later, I was in another crusade, two hours away. She showed up. Shirley Allen was her name. She came down to me and she says, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but she said, I did what I said I would do. And one of my class members was not a Christian and I shared Jesus with him and he accepted Christ and he's with me tonight and he's going to walk down the aisle and make it public tonight. And I said, surely that is great. She says, but the devil is just about to destroy me. I said, what do you mean? She said, this has been the worst week of my life. I said, what do you mean? She said, while I was witnessing to that boy, I lost the diamond out of my ring my most treasured possession, and it's gone. And I can't afford another dime. It's gone. And the devil is beating me up over it. Well, I prayed with her. She went to her seat. I gave the invitation that night, and people came forward to accept Christ, and that young man came forward to make his public commitment to Christ. And after that service, Shirley Allen came to me, and she said, Brother Fred, Brother Fred, guess what? Guess what? I found it. I found it. I found it. I said, what do you mean? She said, I found my diamond. I said, where did you find it? She said, in the sparkle in that boy's eyes. And she said, you know what? I'm going to always wear this ring without a set in it. And when somebody says, hey, you've lost a set out of your ring, I, I can say, yes, but let me tell you the places I found it. She got it. She got it. Stop being intimidated. Stop being afraid. Don't be silenced, even by selfishness. But now the two promises. 
Number one, I am with you. I myself am with you. What else do you need? God says, when you do what I've commanded you to do, you don't have to do it in your own strength. I'll even give you opportunities. I will be with you every step of the way. What's the key to church growth? People say location, location, location. Others say beautiful buildings, beautiful buildings, beautiful buildings. Others say programs, programs, programs. The Bible says Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he says the second promise, I have many people in this city. Paul, people, no need to be afraid. Because Jesus has people who are lost and who need Jesus and he wants to use you to reach them. But he also has people who will protect you. He has people who are ready to come to Christ if you would reach out to them. I've got many people. We exist for those not yet reached. So the command of God demands we be evangelistic. The character of God demands that we be evangelistic. So whether or not a church is evangelistic, there is no choice. If it's the church of the living Christ, it must be evangelistic and always be that way. I was over in Birmingham, Alabama on a Saturday night. And at the end of the service, I said something. I don't know why I said it. It didn't come from God. I don't know where it came from. But I said, you know, here's what I believe about breakfast. I believe that God ordained that men have homemade biscuits, <laughs> eggs, grits, and bacon, extra crispy, for breakfast every day of their lives. <laughs> and that's part of the role of a woman, to fix that. Now, in a church this size, as I said this on Saturday night, in a church this large, there's at least one godly woman in this room who still obeys God. <laughs> and you fix that kind of breakfast, and I want you to know Call me, and I'll have breakfast with you tomorrow. (laughs) Well, they laughed, and I thought nothing about it whatsoever. I went to the motel that night. At 10 o'clock, knock came on the door. I thought, who in the world would that be? I'm in another city. Who who could it be? And so it had a little peephole, which I was grateful for that. So I looked through the peephole, and there are two teenage girls standing there. So I thought they had the wrong room. And I said, you probably got the wrong room. I'm Fred Lowry, the preacher. (laughs) They said, we know you're the preacher. We heard you tonight. We want to talk to you. So I opened that door. And they said, did you mean what you said tonight? I'm trying to think, what did I say? I'm sure I meant it, but what did I say? (laughs) I said, "What what, what did I say? You said if somebody had homemade biscuits, eggs, and bacon, and grits for breakfast, you would eat breakfast with them. Did you mean that? I said, sure. Well, Daddy said, you're a liar. (laughs) I said, no, no, I meant it. Would you come to our house and eat breakfast with us? Yes. We're poor. We live on the mountain. You coming? I'm coming. Dad doesn't like preachers. He's never been to church. You coming? I'm coming. Dad may be ugly to you, 
Are you coming? I'm coming. I said, if you'll come get me, I'll, I'll come eat breakfast. So they came and got me the next morning. And it was up on the mountain, and it was poverty like I had not seen in a normal community. The, the furniture, the, the table that we sat at was a homemade table and chairs. The dad never said a word to me. I spoke to him. He did not speak back. He sat at the table with us, but he did not say a word. Those girls were just absolutely wonderful. They asked me question after question and let me take the whole hour to share the gospel. But that dad never said a word, never made eye contact with me. And they took me back down that mountain that morning and I thought there's no way that guy will ever come to church. There's no interest at all in the gospel. But when I gave the invitation, I did not know it, but he was on the back row and he walked down that long aisle and made a public decision for Jesus Christ. And after that service, one of those teenage girls said to me, Daddy said, if he comes to me, I'll come to God. Wow. What if I'd not gone? I had plenty of excuses. They gave me plenty of excuses. What if I'd not gone? But let me get in your neighborhood. I wonder who in your neighborhood has said, if he ever comes to me, if he ever reaches out to me, if she ever comes to me, if she ever reaches out to me, if they ever love me and reach out to me in love, I'll come to their God. Daddy said, if he comes to me, I'll come to God. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts across this room. Speak to my own heart. I so much want to win people to you. But I should do more. And Father, help us today to think about our neighbors, our friends, that we're with every day. But do we know if they know that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and the only way? Father, we accept your call and your command that we're all called to be soul winners, to share the gospel with a lost world, lost people closest to us and furthest from us. And we're to live the gospel, but that's not enough. We're to speak the gospel, the good news, to a world desperately in need. Speak to our hearts this morning in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.